This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The project replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, Kev, we got a replay today that involves you and yep. your place at the yeah, uh, New Jersey City. Shore, right? Yeah. What are you doing? So when I bought the place, we knew we were going to be renting it out, but I wanted to upgrade it. So at the time, Tom Adams, which was our sponsor for broadcasting, said, hey, look, we'll give you a very good deal on the floor. So I put the Bruce Hardware floorboard floor in. Nice product. Everything was great. Put new kitchen, bathrooms. We did the siding. We did the windows. We did everything. But I really never upgraded it. Well, of course, now that you're looking at the floor, it got a little beat up because renters, they don't care. Everything's been insulated in the house. Yeah, but I would I, say that'd be tough. Renters would be tough on that floor, right? Yeah, but it... it takes a beating. Now, there are some scratches. It just happened. It, look, you're down the shore, whether you're renting, you're a homeowner, you have pets, you're you going to have you issues. you got sand. People come in with sand. Yeah. Grind, yeah. grind it up, right? So I get it. I understand, but it's been 10 years now, and I want to just update some things. And how am I going to be able to update on a budget? That's what I was looking at. So I figured some new paint, some trim. It's all very minimal cost. But one of the problems I had was I never went down there in the winter just to check on things. Just was, you know, what Tommy did was worrying about it because of the cold weather. Now, I did the windows, I did the siding, I did unbelievable amounts of insulation on it, but it was still very cold in the family room. And the family room is one large room, 14-foot high ceilings. It has a kitchen, dining room, and the family room all built into one. But after we did all that, I was still like, whoa, it's pretty chilly down here. Well, I got, as I recall, you're pretty open. There's like a bay or something. Yeah, right in the bay. Different. So the wind's just whipping in through there, right? The winds don't come in through the siding. And what I've noticed over the past couple of years, now that everything's tight, it's the fireplace area we never really addressed that from the beginning it's the builder grade of a house built in 2002 the gas insert was never insulated and it's like an ice box hmm. in there and then the dampering in there doesn't shut so all the cold air blows in so we try to put plastic up to try to minimize that it doesn't work it helps but it's still very cold and for all the years that we would go down just to check on the building, I would stay overnight because I would crank the heat up but the heat has to be on 55 degrees for my insurance to cover if there's any problems. So when we were there, we could never at 70 degrees get our furnace, which is unbelievable, to heat the downstairs room. It has four vents, the returns there, but because that element's so cold coming into that fireplace. Are you up? I'm on the second floor. All right, so is there any part of the house that's just garage or something like that? No. With wind blowing underneath it? No, because we have the downstairs neighbor he keeps his heat on 60 degrees, and which is more important because that's where all my plumbing's going through. I just have a little bit of plumbing going through, but 
still at that point, it's, it's adequate enough. The house is beautiful, tight. It's it's sealed. There's foam around the windows, but it's still the point where there's where is that in air infiltration coming in? We you stand by that fireplace. You're going to know because if you're in your underwear, you're going to be freezing. Even if the heat set on 75 degrees, you're still going to be cold. Really? Yep. So I said at this point, you know what? We might as well spend some money to put a new gas insert in. And I'm going to take the whole chimney area down. It's a six foot by eight foot high chimney area because I know it wasn't insulated that well. So I'm stripping everything down and I'm going to re-insulate. I'm going to put a new gas insert fireplace, get it done right. So I'm going to bring the plumber down. We're going to set everything up. We're going to get it done right. And then what I decided to do at that point is put stonework up, just update it. You know, some of the things updated to minimal cost. So I'm going to put some concrete board up and then I'm going to get our sponsors Provia Stone. I'm going to do the, I believe it's the Alpine Precision Fit stonework on the fireplace. So it just updates it a little bit more modern mm-hmm. than just having just a regular house or just drywall on there with a really... What is it stone now? No, it's just drywall and a just really drywall. cheap mantle. Really cheap mantle. Oh, all right. So you can maybe upgrade the mantle a little bit too. Well, yeah, what I'm going to do is just put something in there. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I know I'm putting the Provia stone mm-hmm. up because that looks very authentic. It's mm-hmm. a lighter color the Alpine. It's like a white Yeah, they make gray. a beautiful stone product. Absolutely. And as soon as my wife saw it, she fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to be doing over this winter time, just to start sealing the house. Because I figured if I spend some money now, the amount of gas that I put out every month. Do you actually months, go down there and spend time in the wintertime? Not really. There's nothing to do down there. So I'm just- Be real- cold. It could be cold. Yeah, well, you're definitely going to be cold until I get this thing fixed. That's why I'm doing it, because fuel prices are extremely high right now. So the gas that I run there, it still runs me a couple hundred dollars a month during the winter. Like, I've paid $280, and I have the heat set on 55 degrees. Whoa. And the house is tight. It's just because that... Is that all utilities or just gas? That's gas. So you got to pay for your electricity, too. Oh, yeah. Well, the electricity is cheap. Uh, like during the, the summer months. $280 just for gas, a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a couple of them. And we have it sealed very well. It, it's it's perfectly tight, but it's basically having a three by four area that's open and you can feel the air coming in. Like I said, I don't think it was safe enough to, to have a gas. Well, what we did is we put the gas cooktop on, put it on, and then put the fan on to bring the heat down because you really could even sit in that area. Remember, this is more of a summer house, but let alone it, it's designed for... Yeah, but I mean, so even a summer house has to be insulated and everything so it protects itself during the winter so you don't have pipes freezing and all that stuff, right? That is correct, right. which we did achieve that, but that area, the fireplace area, is still put in a lot of cold. I never addressed that, so hmm. that's why I really stepped up and said, listen, i got to spend the money to, to really address this. Hmm. We don't really go down there for that reason, but if we happen to, we're not going to drive and drive back it's just to check on the place because when we get these really cold spells... I just want to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Yeah, because it could be a mess, absolute mess. Right. You get pipes breaking and you're not there. Uh, but what I do is I always shut off the water also. Yeah. So both my neighbor and I, we just shut all the water and drain everything down. So I'm mm-hmm. not too worried about it, but you never want to risk anything. So I always recommend tell everybody, even if you have a brand new house, everything's well insulated. If you're not there for three to four months, shut everything down but the heat. Keep the water shut down. Uh, keep the electric, make sure you just have a certain timers on. You don't need to spend any money on that. But the water should be shut down. And I like to go down because I'm still maybe a little bit old school. Maybe I want to upgrade talking about a few things with our heating system. Maybe put in something that's electronic so I can see and I can look on my phone just to make sure it's working. That's one of the reasons why we do go down there because I do keep the heat up. Yeah, the phone apps in this day and age, I think we're over-technologized to begin with, but the phone apps... I am in favor of, you know, where you can monitor your house when you're away from your house and turn things off and on, like your security system. 
Yeah. Fa- fantastic. That's Absolutely fantastic. Well, that's what we're going to be thinking of doing because I, driving down there, especially with yeah, the gas costs. sense, yeah. And usually sometimes we go down if we see a very cold spell coming in our area. And I just want to make sure our turn the heat up to 60, 65 degrees for those couple weeks that we get super cold. Because, I, again, I don't want problems. And a little bit more money spending during the winter months to keep the house warmer. Right. I don't have problems. Right. And I don't want my insurance company having problems with me calling home and saying, hey, you know what? I decided to turn off the heat and I do something wrong. I don't want that. Because mm-hmm. it's not so much the, in- the insurance that I worry about. It's that all the aggravation that I got to go through as a contractor to redo all the damage. So what I always do is preventive. I want to make sure that the place is well insulate it the heat set at 55 if we do have a cold spell i'm going to raise the temperature up but i still all those years for the 10 years that i've been doing this i've been fighting that fireplace mm-hmm. so it's just a whole thing we're going to do and i'll keep everybody posted as we go along because i want to see what's under that drywall in there because that wall is cold you don't have anybody that like a management company or anybody or a friend that goes in there no. periodically during the winter and check things out. just me i just protective of the property okay. so mm-hmm. i just want to make sure that uh, what we're doing but it's a way for me to save money. So if I spend now, I know I can save money in the long run because mm-hmm. we're going to keep this thing for another 25 years until, you know, whenever I expire. Because mm-hmm. I love it down there. I figure sometimes when, as a homeowner, now I'm putting myself in a homeowner position. If I'm going to be spending money, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing a good value with it. But if I'm going to put a little bit more into it, why not increase the value of the house? Because if you have just a basic drywall area, maybe we can do a little bit. Of, and these are low cost. It's not going to be a lot of money to. Well, you don't have any labor costs either. Yeah, sort of a case of beer, <laughs> something like that. Come down, I, you know, might be a possibility with that if I get Dave down there. But uh, I'm just looking at minimal cost that's going to make a difference. And then same thing with the flooring. Now, one of my buddies has a guy that can actually sand the floor down, mm-hmm. take all the scratches out, and yeah, then, you can do Bruce what two times? I think is something like that. You can do as many times as you like. Oh, really? Because it's all natural three quarter inch wood. Well, that's what I have in my house too, so I could do it over. Yeah, you can do you it. You can over. change the color of it too, right? Yep. Yep, and that's what we're going to do. Even though the upstairs part is a different color, it really doesn't matter. But it's these new engineers that you're putting down. They do have availability of the sand, but you can't keep sanding forever because it's a different material below that. Not Bruce you're talking about. Something else, right? Something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's many floor companies out yeah, there yeah. that are actually have these types of floors. But most of the time I looked at was, what if I just rip it up and replace it? And then when I got the price from this guy to do Wait, it. Did you ever think about going over it with Cortec? Well, I thought about it, but then I have an elevation change that's going to happen from my tile in the kitchen to the hardwood floor. So it's going to be up. I, I spent a lot of time to feather the difference between the tile and the hardwood. You, It's seamless. Mm-hmm. There is no transition strip. I'm not a big fan of the transition strips. I know some people, you, you have to do them. I'm not. Mm-hmm. So it was either me taking the product down, putting a new hardwood floor in, or something that's engineered. But if I do the engineered, then I'll have to build that up to a certain point so it's flush with the tile. I'm not replacing the tile. That's still brand new and in perfect condition. And it's very modern looking still. So I thought of the so future. So you don't have a transition strip and you go over what you got, it would be a little bit clunky, right? A little clunky. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I just didn't want to have that. So I, mm-hmm. this is the best option for me. And the, the sanding is not going to take it down more than 30 seconds of an inch or even less than that. But it's just something different. It's a different look at a minimal cost that's going to add some value to the house. But the most important thing is that fireplace is so cold I've got to be able to replace it. And then also on top of that, if we do go down in the winter, we have to check on things. I can turn the fireplace on. It's going to be warm down there. Imagine having a house where it's 70 degrees upstairs. When you go downstairs, it's probably like 55 to 60. That would drive me crazy. So I, I like did, a warm house in the wintertime. And that's why I wanted to do that. But again, it's minimal cost that we're doing this. And like I said, since I was spending minimal cost, if I have to rip out some things and I have to put it back, 
Uh, the Provia stone was a perfect option for me because I don't have to really worry about it so much painting or additional painting because I'm taking the drywall down and putting veneer stone completely over that whole chimney. It's going to look great. Just so. the chimney area, not a, not going out from the sides. No, nope. just the chimney area. Well, the chimney already has a bump out. And our when we start doing the project, I'll be breaking it down and showing it on my social media feed. So when we do talk about it further, you can actually physically see what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'll have step-by-step step some of the things that we're doing to ensure that what we do is to make sure it's perfectly done, well insulated, and there's no air infiltration coming in. Because if you still have that, there's no sense of doing it right, then don't do it at all. Mm-hmm. So that's why I want to make sure step-by-steps for any of our listeners really want to get into detail of what really needs to be done. This is the correct way to do it. Same thing with like the windows, because I'll be taking down the trim because it's so close to it and putting new trim up. I'll actually take pictures of how we wrapped on the inside, the foam and the rubbers you can still see from the inside of the windows. So it's great information for our listeners when I go start to finish, start breaking down some of this, but you can physically see yeah, what and we're doing. Which, everything you're talking about there, whether it's whether it's a second house or, or their or their primary residence, is something that, that might be of interest to our listeners too in terms of low-cost upgrades. Absolutely. Yeah. In this day and age, low cost is a bell ringer. Well, you know what I find? It's the best value. Mm-hmm. Every time we always talk about it with any future customers when they want to do something, even like the job I'm working on now, why do you want to do that? And someone will say, well, listen, I'm looking at this look. Why don't we try this look? And it's probably going to save you about $5,000 instead of spending $25,000. you are spending 20000 And that's what I look at the value. I try to save people the value. Look, anybody can spend money. I'm not going to waste your money. But if I can find a way to look at something and do something better that's going to be a better look at less expensive cost, it's the value that I look at beside the budget. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody should be looking at value. Whether you're spending a fortune on your kitchen or whatever it is or not, everybody should be looking at value. Right. Look for long-term. What are you really getting for your money? For my money, I'm hoping it's going to be pretty because I'll be doing most of the work myself. But that's what we'll be doing. But we'll go into it further as the the months get a little bit colder and I start the progress because I ordered a lot of the product and there's still a couple months out for the guest insert. So I'm going to be getting that soon and I'll explain yeah, it'll be an interesting project to follow as you go through it. It will. I okay. mean, it's going to be a minimal cost change for me. It's, again, it's not that we're telling the do-it-yourselfers. I'd like to just do it because I'm looking for an upgrade at a minimal cost. That's the whole thing that I wanted to do. And I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in that that concept as well. Yeah, yep. So. Yeah, but the prices of uh, Stay tuned. supplies going up, let's do it. I think you have like a very heartwarming stucco story for the horror story today right yeah surprise surprise i don't even know where to go with begin with this it's nice when you have people that you talk to or listen to the show call in but my advice is maybe you want to call in or write to me or talk to me prior to even the work getting started there's a concept just throwing it out there so the plethora of horror stories have been coming back in and it was just about a week and a half ago somebody was telling me about a stucco situation you know i just want to make sure everything's going well i'm like oh when they start well they started i said this is great so can you tell me the stages that they're going through? And they said, well, we had a lot of rot. They fixed all the rot and uh, around the windows, it was really bad. And he's explaining everything. And I said, well, I'd like to see the pictures. Well, the next thing you know, I said, well, when you get to the the part when they ro- ripped the window out, show me all the flashings they did. I want to make sure that's right. He goes, what do you mean pulling the windows? I said, well, they took the window out, right? I said, no. W- wait a minute. So let me get this straight. So they had the rot around the windows when they when they pulled off the cladding system, whatever that was, Correct. right? And they didn't drop the windows. No. No. So, it, again, I said to the gentleman, I said, getting a little quiet, I said, uh, here's the way that works. Stucco is very rarely a problem. No matter what you do, I said, if you let me do all the underlayments correctly uh, and let me put the windows in, whether leaky or not, let me do everything. You could have the worst stucco guy out there. You're never going to have wood infiltration. 
But if you don't do it wrong, and this, this contractor is a stucco specialist. I said, there's no stucco specialist that doesn't pull windows, especially when you have old vinyl cheap windows to fix the stucco problem. The stucco problem is 99% of the time that I've physically seen are the windows. Coming from the, coming from the corners of the corners windows. of the windows that were not properly right, flashed. Right. So when people talk about stucco issues, this is where it's mostly done, is that when you see the windows that are rotting out, I mean, there's more than this, but this is primarily what you see for the windows left and right or where there's two of them together in the middle of it, is that that window fails. It's a cheap window. It's failed. And what happened is the welds of those windows break. Now, in between the weld of that bottom sash is the frame part that you see there. You'll see these little holes. They're drip holes. It's another cavity that on this double hung on the sides, water will hit that, go down these tracks, and it's a way for to escape. But if you underneath that, area where that canal is or the chamber is that well breaks where it goes down and hits that the water's going to then just seep right down onto the plywood or the structure of the house and if you do not pull that window and properly flash it with rubber you're wasting your time because well, you're just going to be doing it again right so <laughs> i told him so i said if this guy's a stucco you, you might want to be redoing this because they're putting a veneer stone up front and I said, if they're going to be doing a veneer stone. Oh, then you really got a mess. You're never getting the product out. And how many times have we said on the show, if you're doing any type of cladding process, anything at all, and if you're getting siding or stucco or even stonework, those windows should have a border around them. So if, if you do have a problem, which certain cheap windows aren't going to last more than five to 10 years, and you want to replace it with a really, really good window, they have access to pull that window out, reflash it, and then put it back in again. So my question is, I said, number one, they're older windows. Or maybe not put it back in and put new windows in, right? Well, it's probably recommended. Yeah. But, right. but again, here's the thing I always tell people is that if you have a leaky window, you let me put that window back in, it's still going to leak, but it's never going to leak into the house. So I use the Tyvek Flex. And when I do this, I put the panning in system where I wrap it with the Tyvek. And then the way it's set up with the foam is that when the water does leak, if that window does fail... It's not going to go back into the house because I have foam that adheres itself to the rubber, to the window, mm -hmm. towards the back. And then when it hits, whether it's sloped whichever way, capillary action is going to take it one way or the other. Well, if it can't go into the house, it's going to go out the house. And then when I have it wrapped over the Tyvek, it's going to drain properly. Now, when it comes to stucco, there's more underlayments. Tyvek has a specific stucco wrap that when you put this Tyvek on and the stucco adheres to it, there's these little crinkly marks i always say and that's where for water to drain properly below the stucco and then you have your stucco applications with drips and weak screeps and all kinds of other things that need to be applied to this so the right. water gets out properly right but from the beginning if you don't put these windows with the the proper flashing and it could be any one of the flashing companies that you could use you're not a, you're not addressing the problem so when i told them this and they were probably about halfway done uh, we put a little bit of panic and i said well th there's if you don't want to believe me, you can go on many of the uh, manufacturer's sites and they're going to tell you the same thing, that you have to apply rubber. So if this stucco specialist is fixing the problem but putting new stucco up without addressing the problem, you're going to have that same problem in a couple of years down the line. So you're spending money right now to spend money again. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. House is about 15 years old and he said it's a big cost that he had to endure. For and sure. now that he's doing it, but he said, oh, look, I couldn't afford the windows. And I said, that's why you can pull them and put the same leaky windows back in. You can if you properly flash it. They are still going to leak, but I rather see that it's hitting the rubber and draining away from the see, house. If that were my, if that were my call in my house, I would do. If I couldn't do all the windows at one time, I would do like maybe a third or half of them, 
absolutely be, you know where where the uh where the exposure is greatest you get like a lot of rain on that that, that particular part mm-hmm. of the house and just be done with it you know well i asked him you know what were the applications that you knew that there was a problem he said well you know we, we could always smell mold we knew something was wrong we knew we had stucco so i said can you tell me the applications then they took to see how bad it was now that I, I know they have film they have x-rays where infrared they can pick the moisture up i said well stucco is always wet so that's always going to pick it up they started drilling core holes through the stucco and seeing it. And I said, well, what if you didn't have a problem that was structural? There was no mold, no rot, no anything. You got a big hole in your stucco. You then compromised the underlayment. Because once you compromise that, there's no way to fix it. Yeah, I'm not a proponent of that in, in any situation. You know, like if you have to have your house inspected or something mm-hmm. like that, why would you want to drill a lot of holes in your house? I don't know. It doesn't make any I've sense. I've been saying for you, how many times did I say for years, all you got to do is just, if you have a wide apron trim under your window, you can pull that off, cut a little bit of drywall look. out, look Take at look. it, and put that trim up. You didn't exactly. even affect anything. Right. If you think it's worse, I'd rather cut a piece of drywall out, pull it out, and see if the damage, because if the damage is that far on the inside, and you can see it on the plywood, then it's been leaking for a long time. Right, right. But again, you still didn't compromise or affect the outside. So it's kind of like rolling the dice to see if you do have addition or additional damage. But if you do have that damage, then you know from there. But if you don't, you got a hole in your house. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And so... If you're a stucco expert, that's why I always say to you, come on the show. Let's talk about some of your method of applications because I have the pictures of who you are, the job you did, and I'd like to talk to you about it and say, why did you not pull the windows? Now, he's not going to come on the show. And I already told the homeowner, I was like, listen, we don't mention names, but nobody's going to come on the show because that's the improper way of doing it. You're spending six digits plus to fix this. And in three years, you're going to have the same problem. How do you fix it again? You got to strip it all down. You got to strip it all down. If you got a veneer on there, you got to strip the veneer off too and probably ruin it while you're doing it, right? Yes. And I explained to them, even with a new window, here's the big thing. And we did plenty of shows on this is that when you have a veneer stone, when you put it up against the vinyl window or any window that has a nailing flange and you tie the rubbers and it's done correctly. Well, just say in 15 years, you're looking at a new window because it may have a lower grade window, but it still had the nailing flange. What contractors do, and this is the worst thing you could do, is they take a Sawzall, they put it between the veneer stone and the edge of the window, and they cut right through the nailing flange and pull the window out, and then put a replacement window in, and the only way to seal that is just to put a bead of caulk around between the vinyl window and the stone. Well, once that moves and shifts after about a year or two and dries out, what do you do then? Yeah, what do you do? So the way I tell people to do it is that if you do a, a... a new window with a nailing flange, you're going to have the rubber, the nailing flange, sealant, spray foam insulation before even water gets in. Theirs is just a bead of caulk that's going to wear out in three years. I even tell people when I do your siding, listen, uh, if I don't caulk your window, it's more cosmetic because I just want to try to keep most of the moisture out. If it does ever wear out, you're good because it's never going to get through all those layers that I talk about. So why not do that and never be worried about it for 50 years? But that's why I said, if you're a stucco expert, why are you not setting that homeowner up for the future. There's money to be made on the job, which I get, but prep that homeowner for the future and then do it right the first time so these people don't have these issues. That's the problem I have with these stucco remediation guys. They say they're an expert. Yeah, but they're not all, not, not all bad. I mean, it gets down to something we've talked about many, many times before. Either the guy doesn't know what's the right way to do it or he doesn't care. Trying to get the money in there, and out and get out. Yeah, there, there, there aren't a lot of in-betweens there, you know? He doesn't know or he doesn't care. Same or thing with maybe roofing. Both, or maybe both. Yeah. That's what we're trying to avoid, to, to make sure that homeowners get it right. So listen, just contact me or Joe. I'll walk you through the process. If you're going stucco, veneer, we're going to redo stucco, 
of what should be done and what should be done correctly. Listen, it, it hurt. It, it's easier to ask questions from the beginning and then to try to do it wrong again and then spend some more money. So that's what we're trying to hear here do here at the show is just make sure you get the best education so you don't run into these problems. And if you are starting a project and you do have questions, email me, Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. Let me at least give you the answer before the contractor gets started, just so we're all on the same page and you're not going to get taken Another like horror this story, one. Kev, but everybody in our audience, you ought to be interested in listening to the featured segment we've got coming up right now. We have Rebecca Edwards from an organization called safewise.com, and she's going to be talking about holiday hazards that scared the heck out of me. <laughs> I'm probably doing 20 things wrong that she talked about, but it gets down to CO in your house. It gets down to smoke detectors. Where should they be? There's a a lot of information coming up in our featured segment, so please stick with us. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Our sponsor, Provia, takes great pride in combining their state-of-the-art technology with old-world craftsmanship to deliver superior products for the exterior of any home. Personalized care on every order. So true and so apparent with their newest product, metal panels that have the texture and look of cedar shakes or slate. They come in four colors per style. Their shakes and slate can give any home sort of a rich look, and now you can get that look in Provia metal panels. That's news. That's big news. Provia Stamp Panel Metal Roofing is manufactured with 20-gauge recycled steel built to withstand 180-mile-per-hour winds and cover their Provia way with a limited lifetime warranty. In other words, Provia Metal Roofing is one and done, right, Kev? It's the last roof you'll ever need. You got it. I love Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and now metal roofing that doesn't have that industrial look. Provia makes everything it takes for that perfect home exterior, and they're always in tune with the trends and choices, profiles, colors, and finishes that homeowners love and make contractors like me look good. Learn more about Provia metal panels. Go to Provia.com, click the product tab, then roofing. That's Provia.com, then product, then roofing. As the holidays are fastly approaching us, what do we have for the featured segment today? Well, when the holidays coming, everybody's thinking about presents. What do I get, Uncle Joe? What do I get, Kevin? What do you get me? (laughs) Better be a nice one. (laughs) This would be the first time, right? (laughs) So today, we're going to get into some serious stuff, some vital pre-holiday advice about how to ensure that your home is safe from a variety of hazards. Because it is. There are hazards, okay? You know that as well as I. We have with us Rebecca Edwards, the lead safety and tech reporter and security expert for safewise.com. They're based in Idaho. Rebecca's first joined us uh, months ago to report on the SafeWise pick of home security systems. I actually bought one as a result of that. I bought Simply Safe. And any listener who missed that should check out our archive. Uh, check out our archive for everything because there are a lot of good shows out there that you, if you've missed them, you should listen to them. Rebecca, welcome back to Your Valuable Homes. Great to have you back again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. Well, with the cold weather upon us, let's start with something that I don't really pay that much attention to. Uh, Improperly vented gas generators, and uh, they run on propane or natural gas, and the leaks from those generators. What are the signs and symptoms of this hazard, and, and what can you do about it? Well, first of all, we all know that gas is odorless, and so your first sign that something might be amiss is that potent smell that's like sulfur or rotten eggs. So that is added to gas to try to alert you that something is going on and give you time for evacuation before symptoms really set in and start becoming overwhelming. But Mm -hmm. there are a few other signs that there might be a gas leak. You might hear a hissing or a whistling sound coming from the generator or, you know, whatever stove, whatever it is that you're using that uses gas. You could also see bubbles or dust or like a cloud-like image in standing water that shouldn't be moving. Hmm. Obviously, if there's visible damage to a gas line, 
And if your house plants are suddenly taking a turn for the worse, um, there might be something going on in your air because this doesn't always happen instantly. It's slow and it creeps. And because we, it's hard for us to detect, it can slowly like make us sick or worse um, over time. If your house plants are ready to bite the dust over time, that would mean that it's been having an effect on you too, wouldn't it? Yes, definitely. Now, of course, you need to make sure that you're better taking care of your houseplants than I am. Mine want to die all the time, and it's <laughs> not because of gas. It's because I'm not very – I don't have a greenhouse. <laughs> well, do plastic like I do. We have nothing but plants. My flowers always look amazing every day. <laughs> Some of the things that you can do about it if you suspect that there is a gas leak in your home. The very first thing is to turn off pilot light on whatever it is you're using, whether it's a generator, a stove, a furnace, the gas water heater – you want to open those windows and the doors, get ventilation happening, and get anything that's alive that you want to stay alive out of the house. So people and pets, first of all. And the next thing you do is alert the authorities immediately. Um, call your gas company. Sometimes call the fire department. And don't reenter the house until someone comes and checks it out and tells you that it's safe. If people knew what a gas explosion did to a house, they would probably oh, yeah, be a that. lot more fastidious about uh, anything that's uh, operated with gas. Uh, rosemary. She lived in a neighborhood. Thank God everybody was out of the house. The house ran on propane, had a leak. It absolutely obliterated the house. There was nothing left. There was something on the news about a month and a half ago showing that. It was on social media that the house exploded and took a few homes out with it. So that's how important it is. Besides just the one, the gases that you're getting in, but the safety factor for everybody else around you. It just, it's, it's just devastating what happens. It's it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. So people should understand that. Should everybody, I mean, every homeowner, should they have a gas detector? I don't think they're that expensive, are they? They're not very expensive at all. And obviously, from my standpoint of being proactive and living safety as a lifestyle, I have to say that, yes, you should have some kind of a gas detector in your home Mm -hmm. or an air quality monitor. It's the surest way to find a gas leak. And there are lots of options out there. We have a whole bunch of recommendations. And they can range anywhere from around... 40, 50 bucks on up to about $200. So it just depends on, you know, what you're looking for. Okay. But the 40, $50 one, would that do the job for you? It would do the job for you for sure. And, but you might need to buy a couple of them depending on what you've got going on in your home. So you should have probably a detector um, on each level of your home. And then you want to have one near sources of potential leaks. So it, where, if you have that gas water heater, if you have a gas furnace, gas stove, you'd want those detectors in, within 20 to 50 feet of those items because that's going to be the source of your leak. Are there brands that you recommend gas detectors? Oh, absolutely. These are not household brands that most people recommend when you're talking about this type of specialized equipment. But the name that's probably most familiar among the ones that we recommend is Kitty. It's K-I-D-D-E. They also make smoke detectors and a lot of other home safety equipment. And they have a detector that is on our list that alerts for both propane and natural gas. And that one's around $60. It's going to it's gonna get the job done for you. Yeah, Kitty, I, I was doing some research the other day. Kitty's actually a subsidiary or division of, it's either Carrier or Lennox, the uh, HVAC people. Oh. Yeah. They that have makes a sense. whole battery of, I mean, if you look on their site, they have a whole battery <laughs> of logos on there. And it's uh, Kitty is a, <laughs> one of their products. I think it was Carrier. I'm not 100% sure. Smoke detectors, let's move into the smoke detector area, are a great early warning system to alert homeowners to fire. Where should they be placed in a home? I love this question because 
Unfortunately, the number one reason that lives are lost in a home fire is either because people don't have a smoke detector or they don't have one that's properly working. So the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, recommends that you have a smoke detector on every level of your home, in every single bedroom, outside every sleeping area, and in the basement. And if you on floors without bedrooms, you want to have alarms in the living area or near stairways or hallways. And if you have a large home, you might add even more just to cover the whole footprint because these are something that fade into the background until they're saving your life or annoying you because the batteries are dying, right? But it's important to have them. Well, when I first moved to my house, I have a hardwired system that's battery, they had battery backup. And mm-hmm. if one of them went, all of them would go off. It was just driving me out of my mind. But uh, got that under control now. So Well, it was four <laughs> or five years. Every time I call them, you could always hear the battery beeping in the back saying it's time to replace it. you remember that? And you're like, I, I didn't hear anything. And this is going for years I've been calling you. Yeah, somebody asked me if I had a canary in the house at one point. <laughs> yeah, that was me. But yeah, that's you know, how important canary's it is. The also warned of danger in the mind. So. I probably should have a canary in the house, right? <laughs> I can understand how they save lives. And what really is best, or maybe there's no difference, a hardwired system with battery backup or just a battery system? Well, I mean, I think your safest bet is always going to be a hardwired system with a battery backup Mm -hmm. because improperly working smoke detectors are another leading cause of why lives get lost. They have them, but the batteries are dead. They haven't changed them out. And that annoying chirping is, uh, you know, not enjoyable, but it's there for a reason. And unless you are one of those people that like diligently does your home maintenance checklist every single month and always checks those batteries, changes them out when you need to, you're gambling with the reliability of your your smoke detectors. Because even batteries, like you can put in fresh batteries. I use batteries for a lot of things like little fairy lights and things like that. And sometimes they run out like really fast and sometimes they last forever. And so batteries themselves are inconsistent. And so I think that you're gambling a little bit with your family's safety by just relying solely on batteries. Mm. You know, in this age of apps, is there anybody out there that makes smoke detectors where you can look on your phone and it'll tell you that the one in the bedroom upstairs is the batteries running down? Is there anybody who you does know, that? There's not a lot that do that about the batteries running low, but there are some. The Google Nest Protect, I believe, will give you a warning about batteries running down, but again, it's going to be hardwired um, for the most part. And any smart detector you have, you could look for that feature. They're not as good at um, giving you a battery power readout as they are as sending you an alert that it's detecting, you know, danger in the house. Okay, so if they, they send you a battery power readout, it could be false? I wouldn't say that it's false. I would definitely check it out. I mean, but I, I'm just saying it's more likely to find a smart detector that's going to send you alerts to detecting smoke instead of having the feature that it sends you alerts about the battery. I got you. So the battery is a less common feature, I guess, is what I'm ineloquently saying. <laughs> I'd love to have I'd love to have a system like that because, you know, it's who checks For their, sure. who checks their uh, I have a lot of high ones too. You know, way way right. up. I'm not getting on the ladder. To do just it. put it on the maintenance list every year. Just to just well they have new ones now. Just pop the right. batteries every year? Well, they have the lithium ones that last 10 years. Correct? There's ones that last 10 years now. Pretty sure we put a couple of them up. See, when I did my addition on my house, I actually had the availability to strip everything out and then put hardwire throughout both the addition where my in-laws are totally separate. So when one goes off, they all go off. So we know there's something wrong in the house, even if it's not our part of the house or it's the in-laws, 
we know something's going on and they know something's going mm-hmm. on. So it's it's better that way. Mm-hmm. But some people don't have that availability. But even still, the ones that you buy, I think Kitty has them also. They're 10-year batteries. Even at that point, I'm really in all about special car batteries or these batteries at 10 years. I'd replace them anyway. Well, I mean, and the smoke detector itself is only going to be certified for 10 years. So there, it's itself will be expired at that point, and you'll need to get a brand new unit. I might be pushing that envelope right now. You were pushing that envelope that six up. years ago. Um, no, <laughs> no, I, I replaced it. I replaced all of mine once already. But I've been in the house for 22 years, so I might be pushing that envelope right now. And mine <laughs> are hardwired, too. And look, if you look at them, they should have, um, there should be a date that you can find in there, I believe. Mm, I'm going to check that. I'm glad we're having this conversation. And a lot of people are probably too that we're having this conversation because it's something, you know, it's up there. If you have high ceilings, a lot of houses have high ceilings today. I'm not going up there. Oh, yeah. Right? A lot of people, exactly. like older people, how do you want to get up there? Right? You have to hire somebody. I do. Yeah, because how many times we see in the wintertime, local, even local where we're at, we see fires from something happening. Maybe Christmas lights went off, smoke detectors could have saved their lives. And they said first thing they didn't have was smoke detectors. So we're definitely going to be a life save by just doing these little bit of preventive maintenance that's going to help. Rebecca, what brands do SafeWise recommend smoke detectors? Our number one um, best overall smoke detector is the Google Nest Protect. It's a smart alarm, and it combines both carbon monoxide and smoke and fire detection. And so this is one of those that sends you notifications to your smartphone if it detects something, um, which is really awesome. And you can also integrate it with your smart speakers, like Alexa can give you updates or Google Home. And it also integrates with most security systems, which is very cool because if you have a monitored security system and you have a smoke alarm that can integrate with that and your security system can listen for the smoke alarm to go off, you can actually have that monitoring center call the fire department for you while you're safely getting everyone out of your home. Hmm. So it's just that other extra layer of protection. But we also like first alert. There are two first alert detectors on our top five list. They're very popular, reliable, well-known brand. We have one from Kitty again. And um, there's one from a brand that's a little bit less well-known called X-Sense. And this is one that if you struggle to change those batteries, this one is has a built-in digital display right on the front that gives you battery level readings constantly. So that one is going to be in your face about the battery level. That is X sense. X sense. Like X men. An actual X dash sense. Now with Google say Google Nest, which has sounded appealing to me, I'm hardwired. Would that fit in with my current hardwired system? I think that it would. It's pretty adaptable. Trying to think. I installed one in my house to test it. um, and I just replaced one of mine with that one and it, it worked out okay of course i didn't have it in for years i just had it in for about six months um, but it didn't mess up anything with any of my other detectors they were all still working um <laughs> this is all good advice i'm going to check this out i, I definitely before the holidays you know you have people in and for they, the holidays and people stay over and you know you want to be safe rebecca is this something and, new or like because i have um, i just showed ron i actually pulled up my nest because i have uh, Blink and Nest. Uh, in my shop, mm-hmm. I have the Nest, and it's I'm showing the camera right now because I can just hit on the cameras. But I would have to get something separate then for that unit. The Nest would do both camera and smoke. Well, cameras don't have smoke detection in them. Correct. So if you want to detect smoke on your Nest system, you're going to need to yeah get the um the Nest Protect the smoke Nest, alarm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would and I those be are a- about 120 bucks? They do sell them in three packs if you want to like set up the whole home. Okay, so but everything would be through Nest then. 
So if you have Nest and you continue yeah. with Nest with the smoke detector, everything's going to be incorporated onto that same app? Absolutely. Perfect. But because Nest was the first one that came out with this kind of smart detector, most um, other like systems are going to be compatible with it, especially if you have a Google Home, because um, that sort of works as the hub that helps connect all those gadgets. And Alexa, too. Are we compatible with Alexa? Yep. Yeah. Okay, I use Alexa for a lot of things. If I have to add numbers and I don't have like a calculator with, I just ask her what the what the sum is. You know, and she, it works every time. So let's get into. There's another very important area here. Something very scary to me: CO detectors. Can you explain carbon monoxide and the difference between it and carbon dioxide? And then we'll get into a couple other questions about it. The scientific difference is that carbon monoxide has one carbon atom and one oxygen atom, and carbon dioxide has one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms. And so that's the molecular difference. Um, but carbon dioxide is a natural byproduct of what we call complete combustion. So any kind of, um, so burning wood in your fireplace, lighting a candle, um, that is going to put off carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. which is a natural byproduct that um, adapts, absorbs, and dissipates pretty well into the atmosphere. It mixes in. Now, carbon monoxide comes from, it does not occur naturally in any way, and it comes from an incomplete combustion situation, and particularly from coal, natural gas, and oil. Mm. So low levels of oxygen and low temperatures lead to carbon monoxide coming out of that combustion mixture. Uh, they're both odorless, they're both colorless, they're both pretty impossible for us to detect, but because that CO2 is natural and it will dissipate in the atmosphere, um, it would it take it's a lot less likely for it to build up in a way that's harmful the way that carbon monoxide does. Are there telltale signs of any sort with carbon monoxide poisoning? Yes, absolutely. Flu-like symptoms are kind of the general catch-all, which isn't everything flu-like symptoms, but some things to pay attention to, you know, lightheadedness or being dizzy, a headache, breathing difficulties or chest pains, eye and throat irritation, nausea is a big one, um, ringing in your ears if you start having frequent nosebleeds and you didn't have that before, and then they say that like mood changes, depression and irritability. I wish I could, I don't wish I could blame mine on carbon monoxide poisoning, but I wouldn't use that. Uh, you know, irritability as your tell-all symptom. But if any of these symptoms are coming on for you or multiple members of your family, but it's not like a virus, it's not food poisoning, you might want to check your air quality. Is an old furnace, which mine is, more likely to pose a CO hazard? It can be, actually. And the, the big reason would be um, if it has a manually controlled pilot light. Um, because if the pilot light is manually controlled, um, carbon monoxide gas can be produced in more abundance than the oxygen can replace it within the home. And so it's just like not monitored by anything, you know. So if the pilot light, if your pilot light's out of control, it's hard to know that and it could be contributing to that. So that's the main reason that an old furnace might pose more of a hazard. But no matter how old your furnace is, I have to recommend that everybody has their furnace inspected yearly because all furnaces can pose a potential carbon monoxide and fire hazard. Does it make a difference if they're propane or natural gas? No, it doesn't really. I mean, I think the, the hazard is still there. It's still there. Okay. So should every home have CO detectors and where should they be? Absolutely. 
What is incredible to me, though, is that CO detectors are not legally required in every single city or state, like smoke detectors are. Specifically, Hmm. Indiana, Kansas, and Missouri, as far as I know, don't currently have a law requiring CO detectors in all residences. So I'd like to let people know that, especially if you're renting in those states. Make sure you make find out if there are CO detectors in your place and pick some up if they are not provided. You should have CO detectors on each floor of your home. And like if you can only shell out for one single carbon monoxide detector, I would place it near the sleeping areas and make sure that it's going to be loud enough to wake everybody up. Because a lot of, I mean, we've all read the horrible stories of people who went to sleep and had carbon monoxide poisoning and they did not wake up because it's that kind of a, it's going to make you drowsy and sleepy and listless. And if you're already sleeping, you're at the highest risk mm-hmm. of, you know, not stopping it. Mm-hmm. Um, but ideally you kind of want to go the same route as smoke detectors with your carbon monoxide detectors. You should have one on every level that has uh, fuel burning appliances outside of all the sleeping areas. And I would recommend these within five to 20 feet from those strong sources of carbon monoxide, such as a furnace, a fireplace, or the water heater. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't think I, I don't think I'm set up that way. It can't hurt. That out. No, it can't hurt. Can't hurt. And even if I if I have a hardwired system, I could just get some battery operated and put them up on the ceiling, right? Yep. Just to supplement. I don't think I'm set up yeah. that way. Yeah, usually what I like you to do in my jobs is I actually put a dual, which is a smoke and carbon just in the hallway. And then the bedrooms, I have uh, the smoke detectors that are already hardwired, but I put this as an additional. But when I did the addition in our township, they require any type of work that's getting performed, a smoke detector's got to be in. And then in the hallway, there's got to be a dual, which is carbon and smoke, minimum. I've got a see-through fireplace. It's gas. Should I have one on either mm-hmm. side? I think you just need one on one side within 5 to 20 feet of it. It would, it would, it would pick up either side then, something coming out I of I think so. Side. This is a wake-up call <laughs> for me. Which CO detectors does SafeWise recommend? you have a recommendation on that? Yes, I do. Our number one is the same recommendation as our smoke detector. As you mentioned, the combo smoke slash carbon monoxide detectors are more and more common, and they are a great way to go because you have to have a smoke detector anyway. And so that Google Nest Protect, again, is our number one because it's just – It does all things for everybody. And like I said, it's a little bit expensive. It's about 120 for one of those. Um, But you don't have to spend a bunch of money to have a CO detector. So some standalone cheaper options that we like, there's a brand called Alert Pro. And it is our budget pick. You mount it to the wall so you can put it, you know, wherever you need it. And it only costs around $25 for one. And again, Kitty (laughs) has two options that we really like. And those range from $30 to $60. So there are a lot of, uh, of good choices out there. Okay. But uh, Google Google Nest is the most expensive one. Is that that's what you have? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, in the shop yeah. I have that. It sounds like the most effective and the, and the one that gives you the best information, right? It does. And it, it does the dual job looking for smoke and fire and carbon monoxide. So instead of buying two different devices, you're buying one. And like wherever you are, like you mentioned, you have your shop, you have your home, if you have an office, um, all of that, you'll get push notifications to your phone about what's going on. So no matter where you are, you're going to get the alert um, that there might be a fire or there might be hazardous levels of CO. So for me, I know I'm deficient and that mine were placed by the builder. So the builder. <laughs> yeah, well, that's going back to a long time ago. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, time boy. Not great. 
if I'm deficient, could I get nest for those areas where I am deficient and then let well enough alone with the other ones and just swap out the batteries? Yeah, I think okay. so. Absolutely. Okay. As long as you be a money saver. Again, check those expiration dates because I don't, you know, if they're 20 year old smoke detectors, they might just need to. No, mine are 20. At the, at the most, they're about nine or 10 at this point because oh, I did replace okay, them so once. They're, yeah. they're just getting there. Yeah. I would look for great sales for Black Friday and stuff. And on those, especially on the three packs of those Nest Protects. Great, great idea. Have multiple levels, yeah. Okay, so they're 120. If regularly a Black Friday sale would push them down with a three pack to what? Maybe $80, $90? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, where I've sense. seen them. They'll definitely dip under 100 bucks. So. Makes sense. Let's talk about overall air quality in the home, which I think can be a problem too. How do you know if there's a problem with the air quality in your home? Yeah, it can be so hard to tell, but if you're constantly sniffling, that is a really good sign, especially if you haven't always struggled with seasonal or other types of allergies. Hmm. So, like, if all of a sudden there's a lot of congestion and um, I have really bad allergies, so I'm useless. But if you've got some (laughs) congestion that never seems to clear up and it's not normal or there's someone in your family that isn't afflicted with allergies and they start noticing something, you might want to go ahead and look at that air quality. And you can also get some of those other symptoms that you might find with carbon monoxide poisoning, like nausea and confusion, scratchy throat, watery eyes. All of those are potential signs that something might be going on, whether it's something like carbon monoxide with the nausea or pollutants like allergens in your air at a high concentration, which might be more related to watery eyes and a scratchy throat. So SafeWise is rated air purifiers. What are the best you've found? And should a listener's choice be based upon whether or not he or she has allergies? I'm thinking yes, right? Yes, for sure. I mean, air purifiers are some of the most interesting products I've tested over the years, actually. And I think your level of sensitivity to pollutants in the air makes a huge difference when it comes to what kind you should get how much you want to spend, you know, and how closely you want to look at this. I mean, people who suffer from asthma or severe allergies are definitely going to benefit from an air purifier just in terms of their everyday quality of life. When you can breathe and you're not afflicted, you know, with with allergens, you just feel a lot better going through day to day. And air purifiers, like they have little office like desk units, you know, and everybody used to go to the office for work that are only going to cover a very small amount of space that you could pick up for 50 bucks or something. The type you're going to look for in your home to make a difference is going to be bigger and it's going to cost, you know, more money. They're going to cover, you know, hundreds of square feet. Um, They'll be able to cover a whole room or a whole floor of a house. Mm -hmm. So these are things to consider how serious you want to get about an air purifier. I'm sure they have filters in them. How often should you clean a filter in an air purifier? It's an interesting question, actually. Most air purifier refill filters are not going to be reusable. There are some uh. that are called permanent filters, and those you can't you can clean any filter. It's just that the cleaning process eventually is going to damage the filter and limit the quality of work that it's doing for you, and you're going to need to replace it anyway. But, you know, all hope is not lost. Uh, If you have carbon filters in your air purifier, you want to replace those every three months. HEPA filters, which are the best ones, the ones that are mostly recommended, can last 12 to 18 months before they need to be cleaned or replaced. Now, permanent filters, if you have a permanent filter, I'm going to recommend that you clean it every three months. And then if it starts to look worn or damaged, replace it. To clean it, you're going to rinse it in water, tap off excess dust, or use a vacuum hose to 
suck it dry. But pay attention if that is damaging the mesh fibers, you know, remove those really fine particles from the air and trap them because if that's damaged, it's just not going to be doing you as much good anymore. HEPA filters can be expensive. So I would weigh the cost and the likelihood, read reviews, find out how long these permanent filters are lasting for people. If you're trying to save yourself the ongoing cost, just to make sure replacing a permanent filter is going to be a lot more expensive than would, replacing it. Right. Would you Replace recommend on your the HVAC system, your mechanical heating and air conditioning, would you recommend a HEPA filter? Don't go with the cheap ones. Go with a really good one for air quality. Yeah, I would go ahead. And again, Rank the sensitivity in your home. How's everybody feeling? What's going on? If you're seeing a lot of symptoms that you're not normally having, or if you're noticing more dust in your house than usual, you know, like if you dust and like once a week is just not cutting it, like dust is gathering in certain places, there are probably extra, extra, you know, pollutants coming in from somewhere. And so I would definitely go and upgrade the filter that you're using in there. I don't use the top of the line, like the most expensive one. I land somewhere in the middle and I know they rate them up to like nine and I probably use around a seven and that has done a good job for me and my son who are both sensitive to a lot of pollutants. What is your hands down, is this safe wise have a hands down recommendation on an air purifier? Our top overall pick for that is called the Clean Force Mega 1000. It sounds kind of like a space age contraption there. <laughs> we like this one because it covers all of the most common pollutants out there, including the big ones like smoke, pollen, and dust. Plus, it comes with a whopping eight filters to get the job done. But that means it's a little bit bigger. And so if you're looking to put it in a tiny room, that might not be your best choice. And it comes in around $600. So it's, it's, a, it's a high, what, what you call high end, right? High end, high yeah. End. Okay. But, yeah. but probably worth, worth the price, a lot worth the price. It's going to be worth it if you're suffering. Should, when you're swapping out, if you're swapping out filters in the airport, should you do it at the same time you're doing your furnace? Definitely. If you've got a the permanent filter, you want to clean that around every three months, which is typically your, your typical schedule for um, cleaning or swapping out the furnace filter. And if you have a carbon filter, that needs to be replaced every three months. Every but three with a HEPA months. filter, you only need to worry about that one about once a year. HEPA filter once a year. Okay. Yeah, that's what I do with my, most of my air conditioner units is that I, I buy the mid-grade to upper, not the most expensive, but good enough, like you said, around a seven, and then every season. Now, where we live in southeastern Pennsylvania here, you're dealing with probably May, late May, till about late September, and it's not a year, but it doesn't matter. What, allergens? Allergens? Yeah, well, for... Yeah, the ragweed is all yeah. ragweed is all, yeah. all my filters, I no matter what, at the end of that season, the air conditioner season, because we run it so much, I replace it anyway. Because it gives me a better feel for the air quality when it's ready for the next following year. But I don't put it in until that year. Because sometimes see, one of my handlers is up in the attic and the other one's in the basement. So just in case I don't want any, the new filter building up any possible mold spores or anything into that. So I wait till the time that we're going to be using it. And then I'll pop a new one in. Is that something you would recommend yeah, also? Smart. Yeah, I think that's very smart. I think okay. that um, it makes sense. And, you know, if they're clogged, they're not working. And if you know, those particulates, you can actually kind of be spreading them around after a while if, if you have so much, you know, buildup and things going on. So I think that's smart. So I understand right. it. Nearly every home has some level of radon. To be safe, should all homes be tested for the presence of radon? And if the concentrations are high, is your best option to monitor it or to install a system to draw it out of the home? So, yes, everything should be tested. It's the only way to know if you're at risk from radon. And um, the EPA and the Surgeon General recommend at least testing all homes 
from the third floor down for radon because your highest concentrations are going to be found in your below ground levels and other places without a lot of ventilation. And there are higher pockets of radon across the country. And so some states have higher levels than others. So it might be more strongly recommended if you're in a high risk state. Once you know your levels are higher than recommended, you need to call a contractor that is qualified in radon mitigation. Every state has a radon office. And so you're going to get a list of contractors and people that are qualified to do the right thing for your house. And then they're going to look for cracks and crevices in your foundation. They're going to seal those up. And then, like you mentioned, you're probably going to get a mitigation ventilation system installed that's going to better circulate the air and reduce the risk of that radon continuing to build up inside the home. Mm -hmm. Every case is different, so there's no like guarantee of how much this is going to cost you, but it's you an average minimum entry fee you can expect for radon mitigation is probably going to be around uh, $500. $500, Um, okay. Well worth it too, right? Absolutely, because okay. this this can make you sick. It can lead to cancer. There's a lot of um, risk there. All right. Since we're checking all the hazard boxes, let's. There's still hmm. one more to go, and that's volatile organic compounds or VOCs, VOCs right? Yeah. Can you explain VOCs yep. and how best to guard against them, including ones that come out of that cozy holiday fireplace, which you love <laughs> to do, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin had a right. pellet stove once, throwing VOCs all over the place. Oh right? yeah. <laughs> Can you explain the VOC? Yep. VOCs, they are common indoor air pollutants, and they can come from anything from household products like cleaning supplies, hairspray, to building materials, and things like burning uh, pellets or, or wood in your stove. They are, again, we go back to carbon here. It's carbon atoms doing funky things with combustion that create the VOCs. Hmm. They are surprisingly common in every home because they come from everything. Like I said, dry cleaned clothing, new and reupholstered furniture. If you put new rugs down, if you get new flooring, everything, I think is going to be bringing in some of those VOCs into your home. Okay, this is, (laughs) you got me. (laughs) You got me on about 20 counts with this with this conversation. I've got to go home and check everything <laughs> in my house now. Very good advice from Rebecca Edwards from safewise.com for the holiday season and every season of the year. I would think so. Yeah, 24-7. Rebecca, how does your site work? Yeah, you can just go to safewise.com and you can search for carbon monoxide detectors, smoke alarms, radon detectors, um, and we have all of our recommendations, plus how to use them, other things that you can do to mitigate the dangers, how to create your own air filter, air purifier at home if you're a DIYer, all kinds of goodies there just to create a safer life every single day. I saw that on your site, how to create your own air purifier, (laughs) and it's pretty simple, pretty low cost for anybody, and they probably have all the materials in the house to begin with, right? Usually, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Well, listen, thank you for your time, your expertise, and your enthusiasm. We appreciate it, and our listeners appreciate it. Thanks so much. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class. Entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufacturing, 
manufactured stone and metal roofing. Products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 